0: Well, Colton, thank you for reading God's Word. Y'all doing okay, Red Oak? Yeah? Happy Mother's Day. I'm not going to say to everybody, just to the moms. That's right. Happy Mother's Day to all you moms and mother figures out there. Mom, if you're listening to this or watching, happy Mother's Day. Love you. Thankful for all the moms out there. Um, I I don't know about you, but I mean, I can't think of a better gift on Mother's Day than the Lord's Supper, you know? I've been to a lot of churches before where they, like, give out a rose or um, something like that, um, but, hey, the Lord's Supper is awesome, and another meal right afterwards, so we're going to be doubly full leaving tonight, which is awesome. I'm super excited about that because I saw the, the Mabry men and Mr. Blair out there smoking up some chicken. It looked delicious, so I hope you're hungry. Um, uh, one of the one of the things that um, I, I witnessed one time at a church, this has nothing to do with the message, um, but I felt like I needed to share it i don't know why because we all make mistakes, right um, so one church was giving away a a gift to the moms as they were exiting It was a little bitty seed packet so instead of giving them a flower, they were like, "You can go plant your own flowers and they had printed out like a little proverb you know i forgot forgot what it was but it, that doesn't matter. It was the wrong proverb. So, instead of saying, like, plant a seed and water it and watch it grow, it said, turn from your wicked ways, you double-minded sinners. <laughs> Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> hey, but it's God's Word, so <laughs> you, can't, you can't really be mad about that. Um, I, uh, I did not, like, intentionally plan the, this passage to be on Mother's Day because it's not the most Mother's Day friendly passage, Genesis 23. Um, so, uh, but let's just go ahead and dive into it. Uh, I'm going to get started by sharing a little um, sobering story with you. A few weeks ago, uh, my best friend sent me a, uh, a video. So he and his wife had, uh, had gotten a craving for uh, a Coke or a snack or something, and they didn't have it in their apartment and it was like 11 o'clock, and they, were, and they were sort of like, let's just go to the gas station and grab one, and so they go out their apartment driveway. Um, as soon as they got to the road, they looked to the right, and they saw that an accident had just happened, um, and uh, one of the cars was on fire, and they heard the siren, so they didn't have to call 911. Um, they knew it had already been notified, and and so the, the fire truck pulls up, and as the fire truck is pulling up, they had just pulled out their phone to video this, and the car explodes. And, uh, and he was like, man, it's just such a surreal moment, like sitting there, like, like hoping that no one was in there, that everybody was okay. They found out the next day that a 24-year-old young man was in the car, and he did not survive. Um... And, and when he sent me that video, we, we talked about the, the brevity of life, of like they were just going to get a snack. This, guy, this kid was just leaving a restaurant, and then he didn't make it home. Like you never know when your time is gonna come. Now maybe many of you have, have witnessed something like that before. You, you've seen some, some car wreck, maybe a, a tragedy. Many of us um, have been near to someone who has died, or maybe you've seen someone die, whether we have a relationship with them or not, it's really, really heavy. It's a heavy reality to to see that, to know that, to know that, like, one moment you're here, the next you're not. So life is really short. It's a sobering reality for all of us. Even if you live to be over 100 years old, like Sarah and Abraham, life is still really short in the grand scheme of time. So death comes for us all. The the scriptures are very clear. There's multiple of them. Psalm 103 says, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone in its place. Knows it no more. So in light of the, the story And us contemplating our life and death together, if you're not there already, let's turn in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 23. We're going to see the themes of death, burial, referenced over 16 times in this brief chapter. Only 20 verses, so it's going to be super quick because we need to get to this meal. But we're about to eat before we eat, all right? Death is no stranger in the Bible. Back in Genesis 3, God promised that death was the result of disobedience. As we've walked through Genesis, we've already seen time and time again this come true, and then they died. But God also has a promise of life in Genesis 3. In Genesis 21, we were reminded that God's promise of life is fulfilled in Abraham and Sarah through the promised son of Isaac, through whom the Messiah would come. And then last week in Genesis 22, after Abraham passed the testing of his faith, God's promise yet again of life and land. It said in verse 17, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So now in Genesis 23, we're going to learn that God's promises surpass this lifetime. God's promises surpass this lifetime. We will see that even in the face of death, Abraham acts on God's promises because he believed that God's promises surpassed this lifetime. So, join me. We're going to pray before we dive in to the text together. Father God, we come before you tonight humbled Lord, that you would allow us to gather in this place and in this time. God, I'm thankful for every person in this room, every person who has ears to hear and eyes to see. Lord, I pray that you would speak tonight. Lord, your word says that you are Jehovah Shalom. You are the God of peace. And when we're talking about death and when we're talking about burial, it brings up a lot of memories. When we talk about the brevity of life, We can be on edge. We could be anxious. We could be worried. Lord, we can get sad, and I pray that you would be our peace tonight. I pray that that we would be reminded that you are not only the sovereign Lord, but you are also the slain lamb. Jesus, we need you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Genesis chapter 23, starting in verse 1, Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah, and Sarah died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. So for you note takers out there, this chapter is outlined pretty simply. The first two verses, Abraham mourns for his wife. He mourns the death of his wife. Then verses 3 through 18, Abraham purchases land. And then the last two verses, 19 through 20, Abraham buries Sarah. So Sarah lived for 37 years after Isaac was born. Sarah died, which means that she was no more. Abraham is is reminded of the curse. He, He is reminded that we are all fallen, not only physically, but emotionally, intellectually, spiritually. There's no area of creation that the curse has not touched. Someone once said, on a long enough timeline, the survival rate for everyone drops to zero. The reality is we're all going to die. Ecclesiastes 3.20 says, all of us come from dust to dust, all will return. When your life is over, what do you hope to leave behind? Think about these questions. What will your legacy be? How will people remember you what will people say at your funeral what will you do that surpasses this life death is a reminder of our own mortality james 4:14 4, says what is your life you're a vapor a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes so not one of us is guaranteed tomorrow the crazy thing about death is that it's universal Right? Everybody's going to face it. Nobody skips out on it. Death makes you think about life. Your tombstone will have the year you were born, the year you died, and then that little bitty dash in the middle. So what are you doing with your dash? Are you wasting your life? Are the things that you're living for worth Jesus dying for? Because you get one chance to live this life. There's no do-over. This isn't a game. You don't get multiple tries. We will all die. And when we die, we will stand before our creator and give an account for what we did with the life that he has given us. So what are you doing with the breath that he has put in your lungs? What are you doing with the time that he has given you? What are you doing with the gifts that he has given you? I know this is really heavy stuff, But it's important for us to think about. We need to think about these things. We need to ponder these things. This is only the first two verses in this chapter. Abraham, he clearly loved Sarah. It says that he mourns for her, that he weeps for her. This is deep sorrow. This is a grieving loss. They've been married for decades. Yet death is an opportunity for faith to be exercised yet again. Look at verse 3. Abraham rose up from before his dead. He realized, I can't mourn forever. I've got to be about my father's business. His marriage to Sarah was now complete. He gets up and he goes about the funeral arrangements. So look at the text and see how Abraham persistently tries to purchase property. Abraham said to the Hittites, I am a sojourner and a foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place that I may bury my dead out of my sight. The Hittites answered Abraham, Hear us, my Lord. You are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. So one thing we can learn from Abraham in this passage is that he's super humble. He, he realizes that he is a sojourner he realizes that this is not his home he realizes that he's a foreigner and and he comes to the Hittites in a humble manner and asks them where he can bury his dead and we have to realize that this is like they know who Abraham is he's not just some Joe off the street like like they say you're a prince of God among us like he's very well known One thing we learn is that we need to respect the dead. We need to respect the body. Believers have a high view of our physical bodies. We are embodied beings. We're not to be ashamed of our bodies. We were created by God and we were created for God. We are to use our bodies to serve and glorify him. We are to reflect his image. In the New Testament, we learn that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who dwells inside of us, that God is not, he's he's so for the body that he came into flesh himself. The son of God took on a human body. Jesus lived on this earth. He experienced what Abraham experienced when he lost a loved one. Jesus wept at a tomb as well. He displayed that he has power over death, not only by raising Lazarus from the dead and people watching him walk out of the tomb, but Jesus himself got up from the tomb and walked out. So the bodily resurrection of Jesus proves how much God is for the body. God gave you a body. Are you taking care of it? Are you taking care of your body for God's glory? Abraham's Respect and humility is displayed throughout this chapter in verses 3, 7, 12, and 13. Look at verse 7 with me. Abraham rose and bowed to the Hittites. He bows down in humility the people of the land. And he said to them, If you're willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat for me Ephron the son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns. It is at the end of his field. For the full price, let him give it to me in your presence as property for a burying place. Abraham wasn't trying to get a handout. Did you see what he said? He, he's not a freeloader, right? He's not saying, like, he's saying, give it to me for the full price. He's trying to purchase this property in the land of promise. Why? So he could bury his dead, but also because he knows God's promise to secure ancestral burial spots. Abraham intends to settle, to put some roots down in the place that God has promised. As we look at verses 10 through 18, we'll see a neg- negotiation for the land. That this is a legal transaction. This is not something shady that's happening off in the side corner of a back room or an alley. Like, this is a legal transaction. Look at verse 10. Now Ephron was sitting among the Hittites, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the Hittites, and of all who went in at the gate of his city. Of all the people who were sitting there, the text doesn't say how many people were sitting there, but Ephron was, was moved to speak. He was, he was moved to, to stand up and say, yeah, you can. I got something for you. And we, we remember, the gate of the city is a place of prominence. That's where all of the elders of the land sat. That's where, if you were a businessman, if you had any clout whatsoever, that's where you were. If you owned property, if you had real estate, if you had money, and if you had any renown in that town, you sat at the gate of the city, and that's where you conducted business. That's where you saw people come in and come out. And so this is where this is happening, in the sight of everyone. He says, no, my Lord, hear me. I give you the field, and I give you the cave that is in it. Did did Abraham ask for a field? He just asked for a cave. But Ephraim saw an opportunity here. In the sight of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. Then Abraham bowed down before the people of the land. So we see Abraham's humility again. And he said to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, But if you will hear me, I'm not trying to receive a handout. Listen to me. I give you the price of the field. Accept it from me that I may bury my dead there. Ephron answered Abraham, My Lord, listen to me. A piece of land worth four hundred shekels of silver, what is that between you and me? Bury your dead, so the first time that I read this, I was like, dude, Ephraim's really generous, like he seems to be a nice guy, but he's not. He's totally taken Abraham for granted, right like he's 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 going to to get more out of this than he he thought because he's He's offering a field and the cave, and he's offering a price that is lavish because he knows Abraham is worth it. He knows Abraham has got it. He's a prince of God. He's very well known. He's got a lot of cattle. He's got a lot of money. Like, he's, he's not just some Joe Schmo, right? Like, he, he, he's got a lot of stuff. And so he's not being generous. He's not saying, what's this between you and me? It's not a big deal. No, it is a big deal. This is not a free handout. Abraham didn't even ask for the field. He just asked for the cave. But Ephron's throwing in the field and the cave, and it's a pretty hefty price. 400 shekels of silver. Nevertheless, Abraham knew what was going on. He doesn't notice he doesn't barter. He doesn't try to he doesn't say, "What about 350? Will you take 375?" He doesn't he doesn't do that. Look at verse 16. Abraham listened to Ephron and Abraham weighed out for Ephron the silver that he had named in the hearing of the Hittites. 400 shekels of silver, according to the weights current among the merchants. So the field of Ephron and Machpelah, which was the east of Mamre, the field with the cave that was in it, and all the trees that were in the field throughout its whole area was made over to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the Hittites before all who went into the gate of the city. Did you take notice of the repetition of how much, like, real estate that God has given this in his word. The Holy Spirit inspired Moses to write this down and emphasize this over and over by repeating it for us, that this is a legal transaction, that Abraham purchases the land in the presence of witnesses. There's no disputing or denying that he possesses it outright. This is a public transaction. So Abraham bought the land of promise, which would not only be the burial place for Sarah, but for him, for Isaac, for Jacob, for Joseph, etc. I can't help but think about us as a church right now as we read this passage. We, we're, we're so thankful for Snowbird for allowing them to meet allowing us to meet here in this facility. But we're growing. We need a building. We need some land. Maybe we need a building and some land. We need somebody with some deep pockets or a few. But we're completely at the mercies of God. Only God can provide what we need. Are we trusting him? Are we praying and asking him for it? That he'll give it in his timing. We, that we would like a permanent home for the red oak body to gather however it is worked out, whenever it's worked out, God is going to be working in the hearts of another church, a business, a, a business person, other people in the town, just like he worked in the heart of Ephron, Like, it's not by accident that that joker stood up and said, I got something for you. Our God is sovereign. If we believe that, then he moves. If you've ever made a business transaction, you ever thought like God knows that transaction before you do it. Like he's already got it before you even know anything about it. And so we need to be praying for that end. So we wait, we trust, we pray, we remain dependent upon the Lord to work through man. In closing, verses 19 and 20, And after this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave, the field of Machpelah, east of Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. The field and the cave that is in it were made over to Abraham as property for a burying place by the Hittites. So this chapter closes as it opened, mentioning Hebron, the land of Canaan. Abraham had no plans to go back to Haran. The land of Canaan would now be his home, and his promised descendants' home. Abraham and Sarah would, would both die before seeing the covenant promises of God fulfilled in totality. But they believed God was trustworthy. They believed that he would fulfill his promises. He's already fulfilled all of his promises leading up to now. And so they know. Sarah knew it because she saw it partly fulfilled. Abraham knows it, that God's promises surpass this lifetime. Sarah didn't see all of them. Abraham didn't see all of them. Yet they believed and they acted in faith. And we have hope beyond the grave because of the promises of God. Because all of the promises of God find their fulfillment in Jesus because of his death and his resurrection. You know, I've been to a lot of funerals. Even before I was a pastor. Even before I conducted a funeral, I was was at a lot of funerals. Uh, Friends, family members, And I don't know about you, but an unbeliever's funeral is extremely sad. If you've ever been to a funeral where they didn't know Jesus, then there is a sense of the finality and doom that is there. Because you can feel the curse and the corruption that sin brings through death. Now, on the flip side, if you've ever been to a funeral and they were a believer then you, you know and you sense and you see that it's a celebration of life. That yes, it's sad and there's grieving and we should grieve and there's a time to grieve and there's a time to cry and there's a time to weep. But also, it's full of, of love and, and joy and hope. Why? Because of the future promise that we have because of the gospel, because of Jesus. We have hope beyond the grave. Because God's future is greater than here and now. We can be like Abraham and Sarah. We can die in faith looking forward to a greater future. How do we know that we, they died in faith? Well, Hebrews eleven thirteen says, These all died in faith. Not having received the things promised, but having seen them and, and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. Abraham just did that in this passage. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. And so as we face death, yes, we weep. Yes, we mourn. For this is not our home, but we grieve with hope. We can die in faith. Abraham purchased this property because his eyes were set on God's promises. He was investing in the promise of God. When we invest today in the church, when we invest in the kingdom of God, we are investing in something that will far outlast ourselves. We're investing in something that's far outlast the inheritance that you saved up for your kids. Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. So your boss, wherever you work, your boss is not your master. The Lord Jesus is your master. And it's him that you are to joyfully serve as you work hard wherever you work. Whether you're working your dream job, Or whether you're working just to pay the bills. Whatever your hands find to do, the word says, do it well. In 1 Corinthians 15, it says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So let me ask you some practical questions. What are you investing in? What are you investing in? Are you making eternal investments? Or are you simply storing up things on the earth that you'll leave someone else to rummage through after you're dead and gone? Have you planned your funeral? Have you planned your own funeral? I'm serious. Because not talking about it doesn't mean it's not going to happen. Your time might come as fast as that young man at the beginning of the story. Completely unexpected. Or you could live to be in your late 90s or 100. But you still are going to end in the very same way. We don't know when our time is going to be up. Has anybody noticed that, it, that time of the year now where it's getting warmer and you see a lot more boats attached to to vehicles, right? Everybody in the room has seen a boat on a lake. And if you haven't seen it in person or been on a boat on a lake, then you've seen it in a movie or at least a picture, right? When, When a boat is moving across the lake, there's something behind it that's happening. It's called wake. The boat is disturbing the water And the wake behind the boat is a reaction from the boat. In much the same way, your life leaves a wake as you go through life. You disturb things and people. You impact people's lives. How you live your life, what you do and what you don't do, has an influence on other people. So, what kind of wake are you leaving behind? And, you know, that boat eventually will get to the shore. It eventually will have to stop because either it runs out of gas or it gets to the shore. We don't really know when our time will be up. We don't know when we're going to get to the shore. But one thing I can guarantee you is that your life has a profound impact on other people's lives. How you live matters. What kind of wake are you leaving behind? Pray that the Lord would teach us to number our days so that we could have a heart of wisdom. Because planning your funeral is actually a wonderful gift for your family. It is a pretty practical application from a sermon if you've never done it before. Because funerals are wonderful opportunities for us to exercise faith and to preach the gospel. It doesn't matter how old you are, it's never too early to start planning now. Not many things are as sobering as sitting down And writing out your own funeral. What do you want read? What do you want sung? Who do you want to sing? What do you want preached? So while the central theme of Genesis 23 is death, the purchase of property and burial, we know that our God is the author of life. We're not going to end this passage on a Debbie Downer thinking about your funeral. Jesus has power over death because he died, just like Sarah. And some people wept. Some people actually mourned for him, but not everybody. But he didn't stay dead. Like the song says, up from the grave he arose. Because his plans and his promises surpass the grave. So we don't have to mourn without hope because those who are in Christ who have died before us, are with the Lord of life right now. When Jesus is being questioned and he's talking to the Sadducees about the resurrection, he says this in Mark 12, and as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living our God is alive. He's the God of the living. One of my favorite quotes of all time is from a missionary. named C.T. Studd. He said, Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will will last. Let's live and die in faith like Abraham and Sarah. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for providing it for us. Jesus, I thank you for being the living word. I thank you for reminding us that man doesn't live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God Holy Spirit, I thank you for inspiring your word and for giving us your word and speaking to us through your word and convicting our hearts and drawing us to the Father. I pray that tonight we would consider the brevity of life. We would consider that how we live our lives truly does matter and impacts and influences those in our sphere of influence. And I pray that we would live for your honor and for your glory, knowing that your promises truly do surpass this life. We thank you for being the author of life. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. Mm -hmm.